If you're a dad, you're not afraid to work hard. Never give up. Never compromise. And the best dads always look for ways to get better. I'm looking for something to energize me. I'm looking for something to push me further. And I'm looking for something to go with these nachos. Dad Fuel, the energy drink designed just for dads. So I can finish the fight. So I can finish the race. So I can finish mowing the lawn. And later on, I might watch some golf the fuel dads need to do the things dads do climb the highest peak go the furthest distance check the scores read the newspaper give amazing relationship advice why are you crying you should really talk to your mother about that dad fuel comes loaded with taurine ginseng and 100 of your daily recommended value of hi hungry i'm dad i start every morning with the four d's devos donuts dad fuel dad blanket breakfast of champions baby now available in four bold flavors original orange grow model raspberry grow master mango and i thought i told you to take out the garbage grape you can't touch my passion you can't touch my drive and you definitely can't touch my thermostat no way so whether you're thirsty for victory or just plain thirsty no seriously it's empty Can I get another one? Dad Fuel. Because I am fearless. Because I am unstoppable. Because the players on TV aren't gonna yell at themselves. Come on! Throw the ball! Well, there you have it. Father's Day. It's here. Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. And again, it's just awesome to worship with each and one of just just great to worship with you all here this morning. And Trust that your Father's Day is off to a great start today. So as I was thinking about what to preach uh, this morning, I thought, you know what, like, I'd like to pick out the most manly Old Testament Bible story that I can think of. So uh, seriously, that's what I did. <laughs> It's not a joke, I really did that. And like one of them just kind of jumped up, just kind of jumped out to me more than the rest. And so, uh, so in just a few minutes, we're going to dive into it. Now, uh, part of this message I actually preached 16 years ago here at Great Oaks Community Church. And so to some of you who have really, really good memories, a couple of these points, one or two of these points might actually seem familiar to you. But 16 years later, I have realized these points are even more true in my own life than they were back then as I've lived a little bit more of my life. And so I thought it would be a great thing for us to go back and revisit today. And uh, so before we get into it, I'm going to tell you a true story that happened to me. Back in 1996 and 1997, I had the great opportunity to pastor a very small church up in Alaska that was out in the sticks. It was 15 miles from the nearest town. And... Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say that part of what intrigued me about taking that position was the incredible fishing that would have been all around me. Pastoring was, yes, number one on the list. God's call to that church, absolutely. The fishing that was all around me may have had a little something to do with it. So when the king salmon started running through that part of Alaska, I thought, it's time for me to go catch a king salmon. So I went down to the... Uh, outdoor sports mecca called Walmart, <laughs> and because I didn't have a fishing pole. So I thought, well, I have to go find a fishing pole to go fishing with. I grew up fishing and just kind of loved fishing. 
So I went down to Walmart. And uh, at the time, I didn't have much money at all, but I needed a fishing pole to go king salmon fishing. So I started looking at their poles, and there was one there. $25.99. It was on sale, Walmart special. And it was a little short to be a king salmon fishing pole. But I thought, well, that pole I can afford. And plus I knew I'd be doing other fishing, not just king salmon fishing. So I wanted to buy something that would fit for all my different fishing needs. So I handed over my $25. I took that fishing pole home with me. And as soon as I got home and I went to take the fishing pole out of my car, I discovered why that was a $25 fishing pole. Because as soon as I picked it up, I snapped the tip of that fishing pole right off. So what was already a short king salmon fishing pole was even shorter. I took it inside. I did a little fishing pole surgery on it. And I thought, I don't have any money left, so I'm going to make this work. So a couple of days later, I put the fishing pole, I put the tackle box in my car, and I drive up the highway to a a boat taxi, and I jumped in that boat, and the captain of that boat took me up this beautiful Alaskan river to where the king salmon were known to be running at the time. And so he takes me up there, he drops me on the bank of this beautiful river. There's some other people fishing up and down the river, and I had never gone king salmon fishing before, so I walk up there, and I thought, how hard can it be, right? So I just kind of find my spot between some other people that are fishing, and I just watch what they're doing, right? And it's pretty simple, right? So they take their lure and they throw it upstream. And they let it bounce on the bottom of the river and it goes down and then they just reel it in. How hard is it, right? So I just cast upstream, float downstream, and I reel it in. Upstream, downstream, I reel it in. So I think things are going great. And I notice, I kind of sense some people looking at me around me. I'm thinking, well, that's a little odd. But that's okay. I just keep fishing. I'm just fishing a beautiful creation. I mean, it is just like you picture, right? I mean, there's mountains around. There's bald eagles overhead. Beautiful river. It's like, it's like terrific. I just keep fishing. There's a group of about three or four guys that are just upstream, just a little ways, not too far. And they're kind of boisterous. And they got all the gear they look good. They're talking the fish lingo. Everything, you know, it's like they want people to know. They have been king salmon fishing, and they know what they're doing, right? Kind of boisterous, getting everyone's attention, kind of showy. So I'm fishing, and one of them comes down my way, and he says to me, he says, hey, buddy, you really think you're going to catch a king salmon with that fishing pole? And I just kind of shrugged them off. It's all I had. It's all I could afford. I was fishing with my pole. A few minutes later, his buddies thought they'd get in on the action. And they thought, let's crack some jokes about the guy fishing with the short fishing pole. So now everyone's having fun. <laughs> Except for me. And I'm just kind of going along with it. It's all I had, right? Never done it before, doing my best to catch a king salmon. People around me start catching king salmon. People on my left catching king salmon. People on my right are catching king salmon. I'm not catching a king salmon. And I'm thinking to myself, man, do I want a king salmon. 
wow, it looks like so much fun. I'm watching these people wrestle in these fish. I'm like, man, that looks like so much fun. People are joking. People are laughing. People are catching fish. Goes by. Time passes by. Finally, that magical moment on the end of my line that every fisherman dreams of, it just feels different. I set the hook, and the battle is on. Right? And so this king salmon on the end of my line, he takes off downstream. For the next six, seven, or eight minutes, I'm having the time of my life. Man versus beast, right? This, the salmon's running. I'm reeling him in. He takes off. I reel him back. It's, it's just a, a great time. As soon as the salmon gets tired enough, I walk out into the river, and I pick up my king salmon. And I start to walk back to my tackle box. And you better believe, I made sure everyone on shore saw my king salmon. I walked slowly, proudly, with confidence, because I had my king salmon. What made it even better was that I had seen the fish that the guys upstream had been catching. And I knew, and they knew, that my king salmon was bigger than their king salmon. <laughs> so it was about 40 pounds. It was about a 40-pound king salmon. So one of the guys walks downstream. He comes down to me, and he says, hey, buddy. I'm looking around. I don't know who buddy is. But he says, hey, buddy, I guess you really can catch king salmon on that fishing pole. And I thought about his words. And I looked at my king salmon. And I looked out over that beautiful Alaskan scenery. And I thought, God is so good. God is so good. It's easy, isn't it? It is. It's easy. When life goes right. To say, God is so good. When life goes well. To say, God is so good. But what happens when life doesn't go well? What happens when the trials of life come? And they most absolutely, positively will come. Can you say, will you say, God is good? Today we're going to look at a story in the Bible. Because when everyone else around him was running scared and terrified, this shepherd boy was able to look into an impossible spiritual battle, an impossible situation. With confidence to know that God would give him the victory. How did he do it? What did David know? How did he stand in the face of this enormous battle and trust God to give him the victory? Let's take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel. Chapter 17. 
So uh, this story is 58 verses long. I thought, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I thought, I can't do it. It's just too long. So, so I'm going to read a lot of it today. But the first 22 verses I'm going to summarize for you just briefly. What's going on here is that David is the youngest of eight sons. He's got three brothers that are off in a battle because they're in the, they're in the Israelite army. And his father, Jesse, sends David to go check on this battle, to take some food to his brothers, and to bring a report back to him to see how things are going. So David goes off. As soon as David finds this battle, it's set up like this. He tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that the Philistine army is on one hill. Then there's the Israelite army. It's on a second hill. There's a valley down in the middle of them. For 40 days, the greatest, tallest, strongest of the Philistine warriors comes out to the battle line. And he defies the, the army of the living gods. God. And he swears at him. He pokes fun at him. He says all kinds of mean things to them, and he's trying to get one of them, just one of them, to come up and to fight him. And twice a day for 40 days, those soldiers in the Israelite army run scared. They're afraid. They're terrified. This is the situation that David comes up on. Follow me now as I'm going to read along. Chapter 17, we're going to start reading in verse 22. And I'm going to read quite a few of these verses, so just settle in. It says, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it when the Israelites saw the man They all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and who removes this disgrace from the nation of Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Uh, So when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? So then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What 
David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping the father's sheep, his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And this Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. All right, friends, these next three verses... Pay attention to these verses. These are fantastic. It's all God's word. It's all fantastic. But hey, these verses are packed full of boldness and courage and encouragement and power. Listen to these verses. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Wow, that is fantastic. Wow, here is this young man, probably in his mid-teens, 14, 15 years old or so, somewhere around there. And he stands and he looks at the eyes of this giant in a possible situation. And you hear what he says? You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel. Friends, when the entire when the entire army 
was listening to Goliath. Their, their mind, their heart went to, we need more. We need something else. We need a bigger soldier. We need a braver warrior. We need more shields, more spears, more javelins, more swords. We need more. We need something else we don't have. David looks at that giant and says, God has all I need. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Friends, so often we look at our spiritual battles and we think, God, I need more. I need something else I don't have. David says, I don't need the swords. I don't need the javelins. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. There's a children's story, and it's kind of a ridiculous story, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it makes the point beautifully. It's a story, it's called, it's called A Little Bunny Who Wanted Red Wings. Have any of you read this story? Uh, so I'm going to summarize it. It goes like this. I'll, I'll tell it to you briefly. Okay, so there's the there's this bunny, and he's out in the forest with his mother. And this gray squirrel walks by. And the bunny sees that gray squirrel, and he says, Wow, I need a, a tail like that. If I had a beautiful, bushy tail like that, wow, I could be so much more. Life would be so great. Before long, this porcupine walks by. And the bunny tells his mother, I need quills like that. If I had quills like that, man, I'd be so brave and strong, and everyone would look at me and say, wow, he's special. This went on for a while, and the mother grew tired of it. She took him inside. But this wise groundhog lived just a little ways away from the bunnies, and he found out what was going on, and he told the bunny. He says, bunny, go down to the wishing well. Close your eyes, spin around three times, and make your wish. So the bunny did that. He hopped over to the wishing well. He gets down to the wishing well, and he sees this beautiful red bird next to the wishing well. And he looks at that red bird, and he says, wow, if I had wings like that, wow, I could do so much more. Life would be so great. I wouldn't have any problems. So he closes his eyes. He, he spins around three times. He makes his wish, and he starts feeling this, these little wings growing his back. He's like, wow, I'm getting my wings. I'm getting my wings. I'm so excited. And he waits there patiently as these wings grow. And now it's getting late and he's tired and he's ready to go home. And he, he starts bouncing home with his new wings and he goes to his house. And, and his mother's looking outside of her house and up the drive she sees this animal, this bunny with wings. And she gets a little nervous. She closes the window. She closes the door and and the bunny walks up to his house and says, Mom, Mom, I'm home. She goes, I don't know you. I've never seen anything like you in my life. She wouldn't let him in. And it's late, and he's tired, and now he's discouraged. And he says, I'm going to go to my friend the duck's pond and see if I can stay with the duck all night. Goes to the duck. The duck's, the duck's like, I haven't seen you. I, I don't even know what you are. You can't stay here. 
So now the bunny is really discouraged and he's very tired and he says, I'm going to go to the groundhog's house. So he goes to the groundhog's house and he says, Mr. Groundhog, can I stay here tonight? This isn't working out too well. Man, no one recognizes me, no one wants me, and I'm tired and I need to sleep. He says, sure, you can stay here. So he goes into the groundhog's house and uh, he didn't sleep at all that night. The wings kept poking him in the back. He kept rolling over all the acorns in the groundhog's place and didn't sleep at all. So like early in the morning, this bunny tells the groundhog, wow, I thought it'd be so great. Man, I thought my life would just be awesome. No one even recognized me. No one wants me. I can't sleep. This is not going well. The groundhog says, okay, bunny, I want you to go back down to the wishing well. Close your eyes, spin around three times and make your wish. The bunny does that. He goes down there, goes down there, closes his eyes, spins around, and he wishes his wings away. Now he's excited. He bounces home to his mother. His mother sees him, gives him a big hug. He tells his mother his crazy adventure he'd been on, and they live happily ever after. But you get the point. In the middle of our battles, it's so easy for us to think we need something else. That God hasn't given us what we need. And we start saying things like, man, if I could be like that person. If I had that money. If I had that talent. If I had that spouse, if I had that personality, if I had that skill, if I had that, you fill in the blank. If I had that, then I could win this battle. Then my life would be good again. Friends, you know what those are? Those, those that's. Those are swords and javelins. That's earthly thinking. That is us thinking we need more. That is us thinking God messed up. God hasn't given me what I need. Swords and javelins. Friends, the point I want to make this morning, the first point I want to make this morning is this. God's ways are not our ways. They aren't. God's ways are not our ways. The entire, the entire army listened to Goliath and thought they needed more. David, David looked at Goliath and says, God is all I need. David understood God was working already. God had a plan. God was at work. God would deliver him. Friends, in the middle of our spiritual battles, remember, God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't need swords. He doesn't need javelins. What he asks of us is to be faithful. Be faithful. 300 years after David died, there was a prophet that came on the scene. This man's name was Isaiah. This was what he wrote. I'm going to read it to you. 
It's in Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 8 and through verse 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, I'm going to encourage you this morning through God's word. We all go through spiritual battles. If you aren't in the middle of one today, you will be in the middle of one before long. Hang on to that truth. God's ways are not our ways. And when everything around you says it's impossible, that's because we're looking at it through our human eyes, our human reasoning. It's important to understand God has a plan. He will always be victorious. Always. What he asks us to do is to be faithful to him. Be faithful. Second point I want to make is this. It's in starting in verse 28. We're going to go back a few verses. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. It says, when, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. Do you see what's going on here? So here's David. David's at the battle line. And his own brother, his own brother attacks him. He's, he's condemning. He's critical. I would say he's even hate-filled towards David. And what's the Bible tell us David does? He turns away. He turns away from Eliab. Friends, I feel pretty comfortable saying that there are people in this room who have their own Eliabs in their life. Condemning people, critical towards you. I'm going to go so far to say that some Eliabs even even tempt you. They may look great on the outside. They may seem nice. They may seem like a friend. But what's really going on is they are leading you away from God, away from Jesus. Whether they're critical, whether they're tempting, whether they are, are putting on a nice front and look good on the outside, but on the inside are are seeking to destroy you and to lead you away from God's word and his truth. Whatever it is, whatever the situation is with this detractor or with this, with this troublemaker, with this problem in your life, this person, what does David do? He turns away. He turned away. I'll say it again. He turned away. There was no reasoning. There was no conversation he left. He went somewhere else. Next week during cross training, I'm going to speak to the kids about friendships. 
And I'm going to talk to them about how important it is to choose your friends wisely. And the verse I'm going to use is out of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. It says, he who walks with the wise is wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. He who walks with the wise is wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Friends, that's true. Whether you're a child, a student, a college-age adult, a young adult, a senior adult, whatever, it's the same truth. And friends, in the middle of our spiritual battles, it is critical, it is critical that we turn away from the Eliabs. Joseph gives us that example. Joseph's being tempted by Potiphar's wife to have sex with her and to, and to basically ruin everything that God is doing in his life, to just throw it away. And what's Joseph do? He doesn't say, hey, you know what, Potiphar's wife, let's talk this through. You know what, this is how I feel. How do you feel? You know what, let's have a conversation. No, he flees. He leaves. He's done with her. In the middle of your spiritual battle, it is important. Leave. Leave the Eliabs. Turn away from them. Have nothing to do with them. At the point of your spiritual battle, you don't need that. We can have a conversation later about how to be the light and darkness. Yes, true. Praise the Lord. We are light and darkness. But the middle of our spiritual battle, it's not time. It is time to focus in on God and to leave the detractors. A spiritual battle is, is gut-wrenching. It is heartbreaking. It is difficult. It can be extremely trying. Leave the detractors. Focus in on God and his power and his goodness to you. Surround yourself with wise people who will point you to Jesus Christ, who will support you, pray for you, love you, help you. Leave the Eliabs behind. Turn away. One more point I want to make this morning. Let's go over to verse 48. 1 Samuel chapter 17 Verse 48, it says, As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that the hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shariah road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent. Did you hear that? David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. 
That's a strange thing to do. Why would he do that? Why would he carry that head all the way back to Jerusalem? It's because David wanted to encourage the people of Jerusalem. He wanted to embolden them. He wanted them to see how great his God is. So in my mind, I like to think that David, as soon as he got back to Jerusalem, he found the best taxidermist he could find. And he takes Goliath's head, and he has it stuffed and mounted. And he takes it back to his home, and he puts it over a fireplace, right next to the bear he had killed, or right next to the lion he had killed. And now when people walk into his home, they look up there, and you can't miss it, right? They're looking at these heads on that wall, and they say to David, Wow, David, what mighty battles you have won. What a great warrior you are. What a great man you are. And David has the opportunity to say, no, not really. But I serve a great God. I serve a great God. Friends, if you're in the middle of a battle today, be assured God will see you through the battle. Be faithful. Be faithful. It may look impossible. God will see you through to the other side. And when he does, when he does, you will be carrying a head. You will be carrying a head. But it will not be Goliath's head. It will be your own testimony of how God has worked in your life to give you the victory. And God will use your story and he will use your testimony to give him glory and to help people around you who are desperately needing hope and encouragement and love. Because in the middle of a battle, we need that, don't we? We need someone to come alongside of us and to say, hey, man, I know what looks dark. I know what looks impossible. But God is greater. Let me show you. Let me tell you how God worked in my life. And he will do the same for you. God will use you that way. He will use you to encourage the people around you. And to point people to him. And to change many lives. He will use your testimony of the battle he gives you victory in. He will. He will. God is so good. The three points this morning. God's ways are not our ways. Friends, remember that in the battle. Remember that. If you can't think of anything else, remember, God's ways are not my ways. I don't understand what's happening. I may think I need swords and javelins, but I don't. I have the power of the God Almighty. 
I have God present in my life through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. I have his power. I have his strength. He will deliver me. Turn away from the Eliabs. You don't need them in a spiritual battle. Surround yourself with wise, God-fearing, Jesus-following people who can help you through the battle. And when the battle is over, you will stand victorious because you have been faithful. And God is faithful. And someday, God will use your story. God will use your testimony to give him glory and to help people around you who desperately need hope and love and direction. He will use you to change lives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's a song that we sang at the start. So I've asked the worship team to sing it again. Because the battle is God's. The battle belongs to him. So during the time we're singing the song, worship him, praise him. Have a conversation with him. If you're going through a battle, again, give it to him today. And be assured that God is good. And he will, he will, he will deliver you. Remain faithful. Pray with me, please. Father God, we love you so much. Father God, we trust in an almighty, all-powerful God who created the heavens and the earth who has never come across a problem because there are no problems with you. You see the beginning. You see the end. You have a plan, and you are working out your plan. And God, may we take hope and strength in the fact that we serve the living, omnipotent, omniscient God. Cause us, Lord, to be faithful. Make us faithful in obedience to you. May we follow you. When the world seems impossible, when the problem seems too big, when the Goliath is talking to us and looking us in the face, may we be faithful to you and trust you and follow you. God, if there are people here in this room or listening online who are struggling with that fact, God, encourage them today through your word and your spirit. Father, I pray that for those of us here who maybe have an Eliab in our life and, and they're causing us trouble or temptation or causing us to doubt or causing us to want to leave you or to speak condemningly to us, God, cause us to turn away from them, to, to surround ourselves with godly, Christ-honoring individuals who can help us. And Father, I pray that when our battle is over and when you again prove yourself victorious, Use our testimony and our lives to bring you glory and praise. Use our lives to help people come to worship you, to know you, to experience the awesome love and power of God in their lives. Father, we love you. It is in you we have our hope, our strength, our salvation. As we leave here today, may that truth change us. May it give us joy and hope and victory and power courage, strength, knowing that we serve the living, living, risen Savior who conquered death and sin and whose spirit lives in us. Father, we love you. We praise you. 
God, we thank you for the story. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. May the name of Jesus be glorified in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.